0: 451 4220. GreatNorthernElectric.com, serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. 206 842 3620. eight four two seven four one zero or contact them online at EagleHarborinsurance
1: ladies and gentlemen may I have your attention please the show starts in ten nine Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one,
0: go. Welcome, Podcastville. You found the Bystander Podcast. Today in the studio, I have Michael Dittmore from Novum. Michael, good morning. How are you doing? Very
1: very well, Tim. Good morning to you. Good. Hey, how long have you been on the island here? We arrived about two and a half years ago. Um, You're I actually a newbie, huh? Well, relatively newbie, Welcome. but I grew up in uh, Angle Lake. Don't know where that is. Angle Angle Lake down by SeaTac. Oh, okay. And left when I was eighteen to go off to school, and never came back except to visit. My whole family stayed here. My brother and sister have lived on the island for over twenty years. And, oh, so you we were, were close? always we were always here for the Fourth of July, <laughs> one way or the other, family get-togethers.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about a carbon-free 4th of July today, which is, I think is a really exciting idea and a, a great alternative. But before we get into that, I want to talk about your novum and the projects that you've seen through. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to uh, become the founder of that and what sure. direction you're taking it?
1: So uh, starting when I was about uh, 36, I started starting companies, and so I've become a serial entrepreneur. I like it. Um, I'm a double-E by background. Uh, I spent some time with IBM and a couple of other companies, and then went back to Stanford and got an MBA and got out, was part of a startup, and got the bug, and have been doing it ever since. So I think I've started about 10 companies. What was the first one you did? It was a company called uh, Endotech, and it was in um, uh, surgical endoscopy, so minimally invasive surgery. And do they still use those scopes? Absolutely. In fact, they use them more and more. In fact, they do very little open surgery anymore.
0: So if I would get a colonoscopy, which I'm long overdue, (laughs) would they
1: possibly be using your scope? Those scopes are, fortunately for you, called flexible endoscopes. Uh, They used to be rigid back in the old days. But those are all made in Japan uh, by a company called Olympus. And you shouldn't put it off. You should definitely have it done. Yes, knock on wood. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. Oh, yeah, well, nobody likes it. It's not something that you look forward to doing. So, uh,
0: here it's not that bad, though.
1: No, it's not. It's yeah. not. It's alternative is very bad. Absolutely. And it's one way to completely eliminate that possibility of, of colon cancer. So, well worth doing.
0: All right. Make an appointment after we leave here. Yes. Um, I remember something about you making an app back in the day that you won a national award for.
1: Yes. Uh, Tell one me about of the. That. So, Novum came about. Uh, I have started two nonprofits. The rest of them were all for profits or attempted to be for profits anyway. And Novum is the second nonprofit. And it uh, started as a result of an association with uh, the Kavli Institute for Theoretical Physics at UC Santa Barbara. And I'm on their director's council. And about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, uh, we were preparing to uh, do a study for physicists on climate modeling. And the director at the time said, you know, somebody needs to explain this stuff to the public. He said, we all work with physicists and we know what we're doing kind of most of the time. But the public is miserably informed. And as a result, gets into fights all the time over these kinds of subjects. Climate's just one of them. And this was 12 years ago. So we started a 501c3 called Novum, and um, I'm the founding uh, executive director of it, and I have a partner down in Santa Barbara, Jim Knight, and uh, we've now got a staff of about five. We've done 20 studies, I think, all all to date, using about 300 scientists. And the idea is you pick a topic and you bring the scientists together, and, and maybe for a week or so, they'll debate the finer points of these issues. And then we'll write a paper or we'll do a a video on it or a presentation of some kind. And in this particular case, on this particular study, we ended up doing an app. And you can go to the Apple Store and and if you type in Novum, N-O-V-I-M, you'll find the app and you can download it for free.
0: Is is this correct? Does this tell you more about global warming and the consequences
1: in your area? Is that what the app is designed to do? It shows you the history of global warming. So the idea here was to start with the uh, start with the very first written records of temperature change. Lots of people use uh, stand-ins in the way of tree rings and, and ice cores and things like that, but we didn't trust those. So we went back to the very first written records, which ironically were done by Benjamin Franklin in 1830. And then On a month-by-month basis, we correlated all those records and standardized them and put them together into a uh, 660-gigabyte file, and then we animated it. So you can actually see, as each reporting station month-by-month comes in from 1830 to now, exactly what the temperature changes were on on the planet.
0: That's pretty incredible. Is that something you're super proud of?
1: We're very proud of that. And as I say, the, the second year out, we won the annual award for best environmental app. And uh, that was quite an honor. Yeah. Cheap prize, though, right? It was
0: Forty grand? Forty thousand dollar dollars,
1: yeah. <laughs> Come Con- on. Considering it cost us a million dollars to do the project, right? What's up with that? <clears throat> We're funded entirely by nonprofits, by foundations and uh, wealthy individuals. And interesting enough, the temperature project was funded in part by Bill Gates and in part by David Koch of the famous Koch brothers. Mm. So we we'd like to we're we don't advocate for a position. We try to explain the science behind it, but we don't take and push people into a particular uh, point of view. So it's nice to be funded by both sides of a of a coin.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if I know enough about David <clears throat> Koch. I know he's a huge contributor to politics. I also feel like Coca-Cola itself contributes to Well, that's a different warning. That's a different Coke. <laughs> this is KOCH. Oh, okay. It's so I got uh, the wrong guy completely. Right.
1: It's Charles and David Coke, are two brothers. And they have a company called Coke Industries, and they're in in fossil fuels. Mm. But David is more of a philanthropist, lives in New York, and a huge contributor to the Lincoln Center in New York and so on. So they have an interest in science, too. They may take a particularly conservative point of view, but they are interested in the science behind it.
0: How many projects you got
1: going on at one, one time right now? Too many. Uh, we have about four going on right now. And they're all environmental? No, they, they are kind of all over the place. We actually um, we're doing an environmental one together with the University of California at Berkeley. And uh, the National uh, uh, Geographic Society, actually, to teach environmental science to high schoolers and freshmen in college. And we've developed the tools to help do that. Or we are in the process of developing the tools to do that.
0: What's environmental science look like to a student in 2020?
1: Scary um, and a lot of pressure. Uh, You hear about it at home, one way or the other. They tend to bring that into class uh, quite often with their parents' point of view. Like if the earth is flat or round. Exactly. And the teachers uh, are, are stuck having to try and deal with these questions in the classroom. And so it's perfect for Novum because it's a contentious situation that involves science. And so what we're trying to do is provide the tools to have those kinds of discussions in a rational manner without throwing things at each other. You think you can do that with the vaccine debate? <clears throat> that one would be easy, actually, by comparison. Tell me why. Because the science is extremely well-founded there. Well, I you know, mean- Environmental science is very complicated because we're relying tremendously on models of things that might happen in the future. And there's a tremendous error band, as they say, in, in those, any of those models. And so you could argue uh, – and for instance, our temperature study showed that, yes, the planet is warming – uh, not at a fantastically rapid rate, but it's certainly warming, and it's just as much as the uh, as the UN is saying. From that standpoint, we can say that man is a definitely a part of that because we emit CO two uh, from all of our activities. But we can't say how much. We can't say. We can't even scientifically say that man is the primary contributor, because nature plays a huge part in it. Everything from the sun itself to volcanoes to all of the different variables that go on in nature. So that's where the contention comes from in climate. But on something like vaccines, you can sit down and and lay out the results over the last 50, 60 to 100 years, Um, how many complications there are from it versus how many lives were saved because they took it. That's pretty hard science by comparison. And so,, uh, yeah, we'd be very comfortable doing that. I don't think it's necessary because again, I, although it's contentious in a with a very small group of people, uh, it's not broadly contentious as far as the public is concerned. Well, measles came back, and that was a bone of contention for sure. Well, absolutely, because then but again, it was caused by a small group of people right. acting in their own what they perceived as their own best interests, that then caused a problem for the larger population.
0: That's what I think about um, the weather, too. When we talk about how the climate is changing and how man um, contributes to that, but there's, there's nature as well, isn't it a strong possibility that man is contributing to the change in the weather as, as well, making nature uh, more volatile?
1: Very possible, but not certain. That's Again, that's the area we love to work in. Because there are these questions of uncertainty. I mean, I think one of the best things you can have when it comes to climate and nature and so on is a sense of humility. Uh, quite often, man is is a hubristic animal who says, I'm the most important on the planet. And I, I'm causing all these troubles, okay? We just don't know that. We just can't say that for sure. We exist on this planet along with a lot of other natural forces. We're a very significant one, absolutely, no doubt about that. We should do everything we can to mitigate that effect. But we, do, we can't say that we're the driver of that, absolutely.
0: I'm fascinated by climate change and, and what's going on, but I don't have a full history um, to, to – what do you call it – to <clears throat> reflect back on. What does the temperature change look like over the course of civilization?
1: well it's been it's been up and down there have been uh, there have been minimums as they call them where uh, there was actually a lost summer back in the uh seventeen eighteen hundreds where europe uh, all the crops failed because as it was like winter in summertime okay it's called a maunder minimum and we don't still to this day, know exactly what caused it. Volcanoes were a big factor. There had been a number of volcanic eruptions around that time. They spew sulfates into the upper atmosphere, which are very reflective of sunlight. Shout out to Mount St. Helens. Shout out to Mount St. Helens. Mount Pinatubo did it. Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines, which was about 20 years ago, lowered the global temperature 2 degrees centigrade for almost two years just by the amount of sulfates that were put into the atmosphere. Now, the very first study we ever did was on something called geoengineering the atmosphere. And all that is very simply stated is you're creating a man-made volcano, essentially, as far as the upper atmosphere is concerned. You would spray out uh, man-made sulfates uh, in the upper atmosphere. They would reflect the sunlight just the way the volcanic ones do, and it would cool the planet. We know that works. We know it can be done, and it can be done for a relatively small amount of money. But it's very controversial because you're, again, playing with nature. You have to decide who gets to turn it on, who gets to turn it off. Um, What will be the rebound effects, if any, when you turn it off? Uh, Lots of questions like that. But there there are things that need to be looked at from a scientific point of view because if we got into a situation uh, the way we're traveling now where the world keeps warming and we get to the point where it's a... It's getting catastrophic. You might want to have that in your toolbox of things you could do to at least temporarily reverse it.
0: Are we not close to catastrophic right now?
1: <clears throat> not anywhere near it. <laughs> it's it's becoming inconvenient for people. Unfortunately, we tend to point now in an overly simplistic way at at every bad thing that happens and say that's climate change. Okay, hog farmers. Yeah, <laughs> it could be anything, but. And indeed, climate plays a part in almost every aspect of our lives. So we have to just be a little bit careful. We're six-tenths of a degree warming in the last 50 years is what you'll see on that that app if you pull it up. Um, Is that significant? Well, it depends on who you are and where you are. If you're living in in, uh, – I'll say something very controversial. If you're living on Bainbridge Island, it's not all bad, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember – probably relatively inaccurately when I was a kid in the wintertime in the Seattle area, there was a heck of a lot more snow and a lot more rain and dark days than there are now. It's, it appears to me to be moderating to a large degree. Now, is that bad? Is that bad for Seattle? Probably if it attracts too many people here, it's well, a, yeah, a bad, we've
0: had some hot summers the
1: last couple of years. Had, so has British Columbia and the forest fires up there have had a big effect on Seattle. Um, and may again this year. There are already a number of fires burning up there, and we've had one in state. Yeah, I worry about a fire on on the island. <clears throat> very possible. It's very possible that we could dry out enough here uh, in any given summer to cause that to be a real problem. Yeah, and, and being a are real... you leading me towards fireworks now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually. Uh, <laughs> we, I mean, that's actually one of the aspects of what we're talking yeah, about.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I just think if we have a fire and we dry out here on the island, I don't know if our resources and ability to put that fire out is fully there. Um I think that's why a lot of people get worried about some of the homeless people living in the woods around here and the debris being added to, you know, a somewhat dry forest and we've left the forest pretty pretty natural here. There's there's not been the the right. polling or the grounding and the stuff it takes to make a real real nice, clean forest. Um,
1: And you're seeing those effects. uh, You saw those effects a year ago in in, uh, Paradise, California. Uh, The forests around there, again, were left very, very natural. I mean, untouched wilderness areas and so on. And unfortunately, when that happens, the undergrowth gets to be so dense. I mean, if you walk through the Grand Forest, you can see it here. It doesn't cause much of a problem here because of the moisture level. But you're absolutely right. If, if we got dried out here in one August, September, something like that, and then something lit it off, whether it's a homeless person or lightning strike or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, no, there's no way that the local um, um, authorities could handle something like that completely on their own. We'd have to call in mutual aid, which is what every community does. Right. And look how much good it did Paradise. I mean, if the wind were kicking up at that same time, uh, you'd you'd have some tremendous problems if a transformer blow out on a pole here, at the, going you know down Miller Road or something like that, you'd touch off the forest immediately. So it's uh, something we point. should all look at. Yeah.
0: You were talking about energy <clears throat> a little earlier. Before we get into the fireworks, what type of energy source do you think we should be going towards? Because we're we're using a bunch of coal to to electrify this island here. That's Fracked out of Montana, I believe. Right. Um, Coal's not fracked. Oil is fracked. (laughs) fracked. (laughs) And gas. Yeah, don't fact check me. I'm not the expert (laughs) here. Um, We have solar, we have wind, we have tidal power. Um, I'm sure you know plenty more. What should we do for the earth? What direction should we go
1: in in energy? You know, I think Barack Obama said it best uh, when he was asked exactly the same question. Now, what should we do? Uh, how should we pick which one we should follow and so on? And he said, in his opinion, we ought to be doing all of the above. And I think that's the right answer, uh, short of coal. OK, now, right now, coal is producing probably 40 percent of our electrical power in the country. We ought to drive that to zero. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. Why is Trump campaigning to keep coal jobs? It's a political question. He won West Virginia and that whole Appalachian area. Um, plus he may honestly believe that, you know, coal is a good thing. I don't know. I don't believe it is. I think the, the, uh, the byproducts of coal fly ash and, and, uh, even the ones that are captured have something has to be done with it. And that stuff is very toxic. Um, the lung disease that's caused by it and so on is enormous. Now, gas is better than coal. It's, it's much less emitting. Of you talking Natural gas. Natural gas much less emitting, which in other words for it's methane, uh, much less emitting of CO2 and so on. And yet long-term, it's a problem just by and large of itself because it does emit CO2. So what Obama was talking about is when you look at the the mix of ways we generate electricity, and again, electricity is about 40% of the CO2 emissions that we need to worry about. Transportation is a huge part. Housing is a huge part. But – The electrical power generation is one that we can more readily get our hands around because we understand the mix of things that go into it. Washington state is very interesting to me because in a way it resembles Switzerland, uh, not Switzerland, but Sweden. We have a mix of power generation capability in the state. uh, And I'm not talking about bringing coal in from – We have wind, solar, uh, tidal power. But the big one we've got is hydro. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a tremendous amount of hydropower in the state, and that is absolutely clean. It doesn't pollute in any way, shape, or form. Um, even wind and solar, you have to take into account life cycle costs because making the solar panels, uh, eventually recycling the solar panels and so on, and the same way with the wind turbines and so on. There is carbon in that process. Okay, so there is some in there. Hydros, the dam is built. It's there. You know, the turbines turn and it, and it produces uh, immensely clean power. The problem with hydro is you can't build any more of it. Right. It's damaging to the fish cycles. We're ne- nobody's ever going to get another permit to build another dam. And in, pa- in fact, there's probably no good locations to build another dam mm-hmm. anyway. And in fact, what we're talking about long term, again, is probably returning a lot of those rivers to their natural states. So. Hydro, let's say, is, is at the cleanest level in terms of power generation and the most efficient. And then you've got a whole list of things that goes down from there. Okay, And in that mix, you've got nuclear. And we have a nuclear plant running here on the Columbia River. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been for a long time, and it produces very, very clean power. Uh, the two big worries there are on radiation and on waste storage. And those can be addressed. And we actually did a huge study a year ago on the future of nuclear power. Um, We've got wind. We've got solar. Those are still very, very small parts of the mix, uh, less than 5%, but growing. And they should be encouraged, absolutely. And there may be other things that come down the line that we don't even know about yet, Uh, technologies that will be developed uh, as the scientists get better at it. Like the squirrel in the wheel? Could be. <laughs> Actually, I saw one just like that. I got an invitation uh, last week to go to Thailand to look at, and I'm not going to go, um, to look at a um, power generation system that fills up buckets with compressed air underwater, and then they rise on a, on a wheel like a squirrel cage, blah, 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 blah. And suppose this, this generates tremendous amounts of power. Well, you just look at it and it looks like a perpetual motion machine, you know. It, mm. I'm very skeptical. Cold fusion, things like that. But these ideas come about and uh, the bad ones will get sorted out. The good ones will get used. But I think having that dialogue – and here we are sitting on this beautiful island with a governor who happens to live here as well, whose number one agenda is the environment. I think there's there are lots and lots of wonderful conversations to be had.
0: Yeah. Jay, clean up your own backyard first.
1: (laughs) No, I'm kidding.
0: Right. Um, No comment. No comment. What other things should we be looking about um, towards the future with surface temperature and and engineering for a cleaner climate and and basically a place that we can pass on to the next generation in good shape?
1: Well, again, I, I, I think our future is going to be in minimizing the use of fossil fuels. And beyond – we talked a lot just now about electrical generation. Beyond that, the next big one to tackle is transportation. And we're doing things like, you know, subsidizing electrical vehicles and so on. Hit and miss quite often. I mean, te- is Tesla doing well? I'm not sure how well Tesla is doing. Um. The big five auto manufacturers are, are definitely going to jump in that market with electrical vehicles, especially as long as the subsidies are there. Well, the ferry system's jumping into it. The ferry system's absolutely going to jump into it. That will be very interesting to see how that goes. And My understanding is they pull into the dock, and, and while they're loading cars, they're charging the batteries yeah. in the ferry system. Makes perfect sense to me. And one of my neighbors is, a, is an engineer on one of the ferries, and we had some interesting conversations about it. No, it makes a lot of sense. And you're an engineer by trade, right? Electrical engineer, yes. So it's fun to talk about these these things and to try and imagine some of the batteries. Right now are front and center on on everybody's mind, but batteries themselves present a problem. I yeah. Mean, I mean, the primary technology is lithium uh, lithium ion batteries right at the moment. Where does lithium come from? Well, most of it comes from the Atacama Desert in Chile. Well, how? Are we going to depend make the whole world dependent on taking lithium, scraping yeah. it off the surface of, of the desert in Chile? I don't know. I think there's got to be other ways found as we go along.
0: Well, it's become a pirated um, commodity,
1: correct? In many cases, yes. And uh, hand in hand with that goes the whole question of rare earth materials, Most of metals, which most of them come from China. Uh, Get rare into earth material. Right. For there making was, magnets and and so on in electric car motors and in wind turbine generators,
0: and you you see him, you know, go in and get the the oils set up and 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 do that. I remember a story of a minor league baseball player that was kind of contemplating whether to quit or not because he wasn't really making any money. He was constantly traveling on a bus, but he took his paycheck and got some big slot of land in a very rural rural area. And uh, he was like, at least I'll have this piece of property, right? Well, then he finds out that he has some rare uh, mineral, some type of crushed rock or whatever that they use through cement and mm-hmm. making roads and stuff like that. So they started, uh, I guess the term is oaring that out of his 400 acres or whatever. We're mining it off the top of his land, right? Worth over a billion dollars. Oh, my God. And he got this land, you know, like a thousand bucks an acre. And he quit baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Forget who that guy was.
1: Well, it's hard to make that as a conscious career move. but uh, Yeah, you get lucky sometimes. Sometimes you do.
0: But I look at it, like, get back to Coca-Cola a little bit. I, I see them taking away very pristine water from water villages, you know, in third world countries. And kind of destroying ecosystems and just human systems. Like, if you're in a fishing community and all of a sudden you can't migrate towards something better and you're basically stuck there and then somebody comes in from America and and takes your water supply away, it has huge detrimental effects. And I'm constantly worried about, okay, Montana's where all the coal comes, right? Or
1: Wyoming and Montana.
0: Well, yeah. So we start digging for oil here – natural things here and there how much devastation and how much change does that contribute to the whole climate change and and the earth adjusting
1: well sure and if you let's say you're a landowner in wyoming which has a, a lot of uh coal relatively close to the surface so they can relatively easily strip mine it and you're a guy that's owned that your family's owned that land for 100 years and so on and so on and suddenly you decide you discover a coal seam on it and so on and isn't it your right to be able to produce coal from that? I would okay. think so, as long as it doesn't have a counter effect on sure. greater mass. Right. So it's that old question. Again, your rights extend as far as your neighbor's nose. Right. I mean, so you see, you don't have the right to punch him in the nose. So those are the kinds of things I think that society as a whole has to has to deal with. And it's the exchange of rights and goods and so on. That gets to be so critical here water I totally agree is going to be one of the big big issues in the future and we've done a number of water studies already and water in the West especially because the East tends to have more rainfall and and not have as big a problem right now the East has way too much water mm-hmm. you know farms are underwater at the moment but in the West it's a continuing problem on Bainbridge Island it's a problem fresh water here is actually a population determinant we in fact it is in California too. Um, you talking about the aquifers and well, yeah, and the water rights. Mm. Okay, so there it's possible to come to Bainbridge Island, not anymore probably, but it was for a while, and buy up water rights.
0: Yeah, there's a few wells and natural
1: springs. Right, that's right. We're very dependent on wells, and so in uh, the wells, maybe uh, I live in Meadowmere, so the, the well there serves all of that community and the golf course as well. Wow. Uh, but there, the the norm is small community wells, so five families or uh, ten families or something like that, and they're all moder- they're all uh, monitored very carefully by Kitsap County health officials and so on and so on. But there is, it's a finite amount of water. I mean, it's just if you wanted to increase that amount of water, I don't, I'm not sure how you'd do it. Uh, most of it's artesian; it comes up through the rocks actually from. Oddly enough, from out in the peninsula.
0: Yeah, aquifers underwater, and
1: well, aquifers underneath the underneath the, the water, right underneath the island. And so, who has who has the right to buy and sell that? Who has the right to constrict the supply of that? It's going to be a very very contentious issue going forward, I think.
0: Yeah, I think two commodities that we don't give enough credit to is water and and soil.
1: Yes. And clean air. And, you know, we've been better about clean air probably than almost anything else. Uh, Clean water is a a very big one. And there again, you get into a scientific uh, area of contention quite often simply by the fact that we can now measure things that are probably insignificant. We've gotten to the point where we can measure trillions of a part of something in a glass of water, okay? Well, the fact that that's got one trillionth of an of a gram of arsenic in it is totally insignificant. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't stop you from drinking the water. The fact that you can measure it. Up until just recently, we couldn't measure that. So now we have to decide, because we can measure it, how do we value it? And, and how do we account for what is acceptable and so on? Interesting scientific questions.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see the science count of how many bottles of bottled water <laughs> Right, We make a year and then, you know, recycling is all well and good until you have a trillion plastic bottles that you're going to melt down and then that's going to get into the air so
1: they can make more plastic bottles. I think it's a stupefyingly silly industry. I mean, the fact that we are now willing to pay a dollar for a bottle of water that you can get out of your tap for pennies. Yeah. And or people, get a filter on your own. And people have made it in, into a, a social
0: statement, you know. Uh, Russell Wilson recovered from a concussion from his miracle water that he endorses <laughs> in a day. <laughs> Forgot about that one. Yeah. I mean, he cured CTE in just
1: a quick second, a couple gulps. Right. And so a lot of people like to flash their bottled water around and mine's better than yours. and I and, do like that Fuji water, though. <laughs> I I knew of, a, of an actress uh, – who before she would show up for any activity, had to have her Fuji water on, on set ready to go. It's good stuff. This is a rectangle bottle too. I like,
0: I never, um, never tried it. <laughs> good for you. I'm going to take that up too. I'm just going to use tap from, as I walk out of here. So you're talking about a um, carbon free 4th of July here on Bainbridge Island. And I heard that and was ame- immediately at- attracted to it. Um, I don't like fireworks. I've seen kids blow their fingers off. Um, Julius Peppers in the NFL walked away from a $10 million contract and then played with M80 and lost three of his fingers. Um, there's some consequences physically. right? Shout out to Lyle, who had pins in his arm and lost a digit in high school during a soccer season when I was coaching him. I've seen it from first. From fireworks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the boom shakalaka. I, <laughs> it, I feel it in my chest. I feel like I, I can't hear as well each 4th of July. Um,
1: That's due to wearing headphones too much, by the way. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't put the
1: earplugs in as much anymore.
0: Right. Um, you have an alternative to the pollution of the fireworks, the noise, the debris in a carbon-free 4th of July And it's something that happened in the Seoul Olympics where Intel brought a bunch of drones Mm -hmm. and had a show. Mm -hmm. I've been to lots of fireworks displays, and the ones I've liked the most are in Seattle with the symphony playing. Yes. And it's all in sync. I also love the fountain. William Tell Overture or – Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. How do you replace – the feeling of being in a fireworks show without that lar- large clap and that
1: boom it's difficult tim um it's some i've i've been a lover of fireworks since i was a little kid i used to play with m80s and things like that when you could buy them back in those days and still I, can just hop over the bridge that's true that's true i used to blow don't bring them. them back i used to build whole little towns and blow them up it was very sick when i was a teenager but um these days I think there's again it's I don't want to draw too much of a correspondence with climate but you're making the same kinds of hopefully the same kinds of better decisions you know right. I'd rather my climate be cleaner than me listen to a, Yeah cleaner safer clap a boom for right. 15 minutes and uh, it's it's very difficult for animals to handle uh, fireworks sure. um and so on so A little over a year ago, um, Scott and Lori Eisenman, who are the people that have been responsible uh, for putting on the fireworks show here on the island for years, um, reached out um, for more volunteers to work on the committee. And I was one of the people that responded. And so last 4th of July, we helped load the stuff onto the barge and get the barge out there and everything else. And The show went off just fine. And this year, this spring, we were sitting around planning for the upcoming show. So real recent. Very recent, Uh, like in March. And I can't remember exactly how it came up, but I had been doing some work uh, involving drones. And uh, I have a number of friends on the island who are drone enthusiasts and so on.
0: Yeah, I go down to Pritchard Park, and there's this guy with a webcam on his drone. Oh, yeah. He's so good at flying that thing. And I take the kids
1: down there, and they're just fascinated by him and his channel. And and it's a coming thing. I mean, Amazon's talking about delivering packages with drones and so on and so on. So you're seeing an awful lot of that. And so we kicked around uh, in the committee, um, uh, Andy Rosen and Tammy uh, Allen and uh, Bonnie McBrien and I. Uh, we're kicking around different ideas, and and this idea of of doing a drone show came up. And just like you said, I think we'd all seen the South Korean uh, Winter Olympics with the snowboarder uh, made out of drones coming down the slope, and so on and so on. And so we we checked around, and it turns out there were a couple of little companies uh, in the United States uh, willing to do this sort of thing. And so we reached out to one of them or two of them, and actually uh, got into a an, an agreement with one of them before <laughs> before finding out that uh, they were fake. Uh, this particular company, which who shall is. be who shall be nameless,
0: ah, throw them out there in the ether.
1: As <laughs> uh, I put them actually out of my mind, I couldn't remember if I tried. Well, oh, good for you. Um, I don't have that superpower. But we had um, fortunately members of the committee who said, you know, we need to check these people out before we put any money down on this and so on and so we did check them out and they were a charlottean organization so we dodged that bullet uh very fortunately but then we were left with 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 nobody to go to and so i reached out to some friends of mine at intel uh, mostly just to try and get advice on how to avoid that kind of a problem again in the future and they knew about this company and I was talking with them, and I said, you know, let's just say we're planning now for 2020. I said, 2019 is only two months away, and and you guys are obviously booked up and and so on. And I told them a lot about Bainbridge Island and what was unique about this uh, show and, and our position vis-a-vis Seattle and so on. And after a few minutes uh, of thought, the guy from Intel came back and said, well, you know, we've never done a 4th of July show. And we've always wanted to do one. We've never done a show in the Pacific Northwest. We'd be willing to come up and do a show on the Fourth this year. And he said, "It's." He said, uh, "You guys would have to raise some of the funds for it." He said, "But we're willing to talk about it." And so that's how the whole thing started. And you can go to our website right now, uh, called Bainbridge Fourth. That's the number four T H dot uh, org or dot com i think they all point to the same thing but i think it's dot org um, and it'll tell you the whole story and we're very hopeful still that we can pull it off we're kind of down to the wire in terms of fundraising um, It this takes an, one or two very large sponsors to pull off we're talking at the corporate level now so we're we're working with a number of companies. It may be that uh, this year is, we just haven't had enough time, in which case it'll be for 2020. But we're still very hopeful, and, and uh, I think it's the right way to go. I think it would be a fantastic show.
0: What does the show consist of for people that aren't visualizing this?
1: It's, uh, it's somewhere between 300 and 500 drones, which is a an enormous group. Uh, Intel has done as many as 2,000 before um they hold a guinness book of world records but they held it at 100 and at 200 and 500 and 1000 and 2000 um it takes a crew of people from intel to come up and do this Uh, it takes uh uh, airspace clearances and so on which we have that's not a problem and we have all the the approvals from the city and the harbor and so on
0: yeah you got the maritime permit and all that
1: absolutely and and uh, the, the plan is to use the parking lot at the, at the ferry repair facility as a takeoff and landing area. And so if you can visualize these couple hundred of these little fellows, they're, they're about the size of a basketball, uh, taking off from, from that facility, flying out over the harbor between there and Creosote uh, Park, and then going up to 400 feet in altitude and performing these three-dimensional multicolored displays. The drones are 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 very small, and all they actually really are is a platform to carry a, a bright LED around. And those LEDs can have millions of colors to them. And the drones completely self-position themselves; they're pro- pre-programmed, and then they, you just press go, and they go.
0: So you have a bunch of patterns picked out.
1: <clears throat> yep. And go and how long of a show would this be? Well, that's the thing that really uh, uh, amazes Do they people. They need to be recharged. At that's some point? the thing is they only have a charge sufficient to for about ten minutes, hmm. and so the show itself is about six because you don't want them dropping into the water and having to retrieve them. So, in order to get them to fly out, perform the show, and fly back again and land safely, the show ends up about being six minutes long, which was what they did for the Olympics and and so on. And while it's going on, you lose track of time. You don't. Notice the fact that it's a lot shorter, say, than a standard fireworks show, and it's much more impressive in terms of its.
0: It's definitely impressive,
1: and in, in terms of what they can do and animate these things, and it would be it would be very customized for us. They have a whole programming crew that that does this, and uh, there'd be a lot of patriotic stuff and so on, and and whoever the major sponsor is will get their logo up there in in drones, and that sort of thing. So. We're we're very optimistic about it. Uh, as again, as I say, if we can't raise the the funds for this year, we've already got plans to put it off till next year. Parenthetically, for the people that need their fireworks fix, uh, the same show that we put on last year will be uh, done again this year, but it'll be done um, up at Agate Pass by the casino. Okay. Yeah. Same group.
0: Well, a couple of questions come to mind. I I would think they could have like. Group A, Group B, and Group C come out. Like there's 100 drones in the Group A and then 100 drones
1: in B, B, and then you could extend the life of the show. In theory, that's possible. I'll have to bring that up with intel. I never mentioned it. In fact, I hadn't thought of it. It's very clever, Tim. Mom, are
0: you listening? (laughs) Your boy's clever. Um, No, it's a good idea. It was quite seriously. Thank you. Um, Second is, is there any sound element to the show?
1: Yes, and that is another thing that really attracted us, and that is they will synchronize to a soundtrack. Um, they will provide the soundtrack, and then we would provide the way of amplifying that and getting it out uh, into the air. And we've been talking with some of the people that do all of the sound work for the 4th of July, uh, the dance and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and again, it's, it would be played through loudspeakers that would carry across the water, I think, very nicely. Awesome. I like the idea. I really do. It's a lot of fun. A lot of thought has gone into it. Um, as I say, our committee has done some tremendous work. Um, Andy and Bonnie and, and Tammy and Scott and, and his wife have just have put in tremendous a number of hours on this. It's been a lot of fun to do and just to think of something that's a little different.
0: Yeah, I, I like modern thinking and and coming up with um, things that other people haven't thought of. And when I saw this, I was like, wow, that's a really, really strong idea. I mean, I dislike fireworks on so many levels, but I know, you know, I stayed four years in Kentucky and <laughs> my God, people would save squirrel money away all year long <clears throat> to go buy fireworks. And then that 4th of July was the most all American independence day that you you ever saw. And it was loud and it was hours of just boom, boom, boom
1: yeah and the island is very unique that way too. you know we on the on, there's a uh, lot of people love it on new year's <laughs> New Year's yeah. there's as many fireworks set off on the island. I think as there are on the
0: fourth and, and I think the approximation to the to the tribe and access to fireworks um, gives people the ability to kind of go overboard here
1: too well yeah and that in and, and the uh, the county permits it. I mean if mm-hmm. you go to the state fire marshal's site. Uh, You can see county by county, community by community where fireworks are allowed and where they're not. I mean, King County, they're banned. Um, But here in Kitsap County, from I believe it's 10 o'clock at night until 1 o'clock in the morning, on the 4th and New Year's, both, you're allowed to pretty much set off anything you want. And uh, again, I spent an awful lot of time in California before coming home to Washington, and down there, they're just, I mean, you can't find any place where you can set off fireworks I bet. individually because of the, of the danger of fire. Yeah, it's really dry out there. Right.
0: Oh. Hey, um, before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Superfund site right down there by Creosote Park. Are you sure. familiar with that? I am. And, um, I see it.
1: You know, there's a cap underwater. Yeah, I, I see
0: <laughs> issues with it. Daily, I, I, I walk a, lo- a lot of this island every mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of uh, bad marine life. And we were talking about the electric batteries with the ferry. I just feel like that little section of harbor is super polluted uh, with the turnaround of the ferries and then the old Creosote Park. But then I go to research the information about um, Creosote Park and how how the Superfund's doing and they say it's one of the most successful super fun sites ever. But yet I walk around there and I don't see anybody working. I see creosote tiles on the beach still and it's going on almost thirty years of cleanup. I see a rusting <clears throat> seawall. I hear there's seepage going on underneath there. Um geez, I ask you how you feel about the site. <laughs> so these things are going through my head. As an outsider, yeah, and,
1: you don't and, want to overthink it, though, Tim. I mean, it's there. There's a lot of remediation that's already been done. As I say, uh, if you want some really inf- interesting information, ask our harbor master, Tammy uh, Allen, uh, ab- about some of the things. You know, you can't anchor over there by the park Right. because there is actually a membrane down on the harbor floor to prevent release of some of the materials. And if you were dragging an anchor across that membrane, you would perforate it and and cause problems and so on.
0: Is there a way to measure that right now if it's seeping, if that's a compromised membrane?
1: Um, uh, they do go in and do periodic measurements. I haven't seen the results of that.
0: But didn't they spray some like foam stuff underneath? That I
1: don't stuff? know. That I don't know. Sludge or something like that. I think but, Doug Schultz, a former city manager, was talking yeah. about that. We had a, a very... Uh, comparable problem in where I lived before coming back here in Santa Barbara, which is a very lovely area in Southern California, right on the coast. And one of the things that Santa Barbara is u- uniquely known for is it has the second largest natural oil and gas seeps in the world. The the, the bottom of the channel uh, between the islands and, and, the, and the mainland in Santa Barbara is a total fracture field uh, naturally from earthquakes and so on. And you can go out there in a boat and you better not be smoking a cigarette because there's so much methane bubbling up out of the oh, water. Oh, wow. And so for a while um, – and that's also where they ha- – well, that's where the whole environmental movement started was right there in Santa Barbara in 1969 when they had a blowout of a, a oil derrick in the channel and released about 6,000 barrels of oil. And that became – they started a movement called Get Oil Out, GOO. That begat Earth Day in 1970. A year later, and it's where the whole environmental movement came from. And uh, David Harris, who runs the Bullet Foundation over in Seattle, was with me at Stanford at the time in 1970, and at the very first Earth Day with Joan Baez and a bunch of other people. So, I kind of feel like having been in Santa Barbara for the blowout, having been at Stanford for Earth Day, and so on. That, That the environmental movement is in my blood one way or another. I was there when it started. But Santa Barbara tried to cap some of those things. They put a a giant metal dome down on the bottom of the seafloor 500 feet across. And actually, they were capturing a lot of that oil and gas seepage for some time. But it then became uneconomical to continue doing it, and they ended up removing the dome. Yeah, how do you – release it once you capture it or what do you do? Well, you could process it into regular oil and gas. Mm, They had a pipeline that came ashore and they processed it. But it's, uh, you know, the whole fossil fuel industry has become so unwanted and unwelcome in California, especially, that uh, most of those operations have ceased. And now they're trying to decommission the the offshore oil rigs that are still there.
0: So in your estimation, do you feel like that area of Bainbridge Island is, is doing well
1: in the cleanup and going forward or? As far as I can tell, it is doing well. I mean, I, I don't see any signs for a, alarm there. Okay, I'm going to go with the expert <clears throat> this time. Not well, just, I'm hardly just... an expert on that one. But um, I, I think some of the bigger questions are underwater noise pollution. Again, getting back to the 4th of July. Tell me what that is. Well, that that's mainly from— uh, Submarines or something? Well, it's from ferry boats. It's from, hmm. it's from uh, large container vessels coming in and out of Elliott Bay. Cruise it's ships. Cruise ships. Uh, high-speed, you know, everybody's yachts. I mean, it's high-speed motorboats. Yeah, I
0: didn't know how many yachts were here until I went— uh, Hundreds. Bioluminescent uh, kayaking Friday night last week. I give them a shout-out to the Parks Department— that was a lot of fun. Tell me, tell me about that. I haven't heard about that. So in Hidden Cove, there's right. a bunch of yachts, and it's mm-hmm. pretty still. Um, you go out there 9 to 12 um, in ki- in a group kayaking. I took my whole family. And the, in certain areas where it gets really dark and really warm, the the plankton lights up. Oh, right. The bioluminescence, right. So we were just paddling around those huge <clears> yachts, and it was it's kind of surprising because – that was the first time I was kind of in, introduced to any yacht culture on this island um, other than just seeing them at the yacht club. So there's a bunch of yachts there, and they had blue lights going, disco lights, and everybody's partying. And then all of a sudden, it's 10 o'clock. I'm in the kayak, and it's just quiet. There's got to be some type of – Noise ordinance? Yes. <laughs> so then like at 10, 15, this dog barks at something. <clears throat> And it just echoes like it's in an amphitheater in that cove. And then after that, it was silent for like an hour and 45 minutes and paddling around and seeing the water light up, you know, by your oars. It was magical. It was really, really nice.
1: We think that only happens, you know, down in the South Seas or something like that, but it happens right here in Puget Sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's really quite amazing. And then the feeder fish were all jumping as well. So it was a good experience. It's a great place to
0: live. Yeah, I think the biodiversity here on the island, you know, if you're raising kids, you get them in kayaks, you get them on hikes, you get them out to Islandwood, you you take them to some of these events, you expose them to things like carbon-free 4th of July. You know, it's very forward, positive thinking.
1: Yeah, and I think it's an irony in some ways, too, from the ecological point of view, that here we are talking about preserving an island that was virtually turned into a a rock forest at one point in time. Every tree on the island was cut down. Yeah, and all it was was stumps, literally 150 years ago. And now it's all been regenerated, and now is is being actively preserved, which groups like Stand for the Land and so on are doing a fabulous job, as far as I can see.
0: Yeah, shout out to the Land Trust. Thanks for yep. coming in recently and and talking about what you're doing with the trails and such. Um,
1: Anything else you want to shout
0: out before we get out of here?
1: I, I think that's about it, except uh, give some credit to our amateur radio group, Bainbridge Amateur Radio Club, for all that they do for emergency preparedness. And also to help uh, the Rotary Auction and the Fourth of July Parade. We're coming up on a very, very busy time for volunteer groups on the island. So mm-hmm. there's uh, And – Don't forget zero wasters. Absolutely. So go out there and get involved and do something. Don't just – Sit around looking at trees. <laughs> Go out and help them. Michael Ditmore,
0: uh, carbon-free, 4th of July. Please support it. You've been listening to the Bystander Podcast. Michael, thank you so much for your time.
1: Total pleasure, Tim. Thank you. All right. Be kind. Yep.
2: It's Ralph Rain for your, for your brain. For your brain. Ralph Rain. Ralph Brain. Okay, okay, Mhm. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Ralph Rand, Ralph Rand. hmm yep. He's
0: dreaming,
2: he's dreaming, it's not for No, no, not at all. I came probably wanted to hurl in shame at their fake eyes like eight eyes. It's me as I scream. Lord, to wake me from this dream. But the to here barely gleam in the night. You hear the screams and the government fighting dreams. No war for peace, no war for me. Craziest ladies who watched their babies of iodine. Should I am fine like the print on a prenup? Though I fit my life consists of reading the papers with feet up, man. But I ain't tripping. <laughs> Deppin' in shit for my neighbors three pups. Hey, watch the flower on ancient you shall read up and your anguish will just freeze up. It's on the papers, but it's pre-stuffed in your brain. Forget the name, forget the fame. Taking as money's exchange. I think it's amazing how money can change. What well, you feel in your heart? If you let it and regret it, you're in debt with yourself. Shit, man. Not even I can measure myself. Music is everything. We stuck in the measure of self, but So, Talks government Like shirts to a belt Shit, I be hovering So the earth could just melt I'm drunk off love It spills on my shirt As I belch Stacked in bottles On a never-ending shelf Stacks and models I won't lie I got no money But my gold is in mine And you can't ever Take it from me unless I give it But you niggas never listen Just stay a puzzle And I know that piece is missing It's a huddle It's at least four inches So I never forfeit inches As in giving up These magazines They're listing up About these fake-ass rappers Who just live it up And never helping their people All that is to me Help is a people I never cover re- it. Plate. Silver spoons and ivory plate, the silver zooms just as reality shakes. How will you eat what's given on reality's plates? I see bliss, no matter how reality tastes, these feet miss. Thinking that they carry their weight. I change fate, on how my mind gets carried away. Time is carried by fate. In the ocean, regrets are carried by weight. What's behind me as I'm floating at the perfect pace? In the moving now, I know I'm in a perfect state. Even if by tomorrow, in the dirt, I lay selfless. I know the shirt will say, Help the hopeless and know this. I never search for praise. Search for days where we all will see that the earth will change. Seen a homeless man, and he said he only searched for change. I said, We ain't so different, and it really hurt to say. I, and I no, no, I ain't tripping no I ain't Uh-uh, no not at, all, not at all. No, no not at all, route three.